the following message entitled, A Single Offering, Part 14 of the series, Hold Fast, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 5th of June, 2010, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We have been in an extended series on the book of Hebrews. We've called the series Hold Fast. And if you read through the book of Hebrews, you will see that phrase, hold fast, repeated a number of times. It's, it's the theme of the book of Hebrews is Hold fast because Jesus is supreme. Hold fast. Hold fast to Jesus, our supreme and great high priest. Hold fast to faith in Jesus. And last week, Stephen preached on Hebrews chapter 9, in which the author of Hebrews is in an extended, an extended section where he is comparing the supremacy of Jesus with the Jewish sacrificial system and how insufficient the old system was to really cleanse our conscience and do away with sins. And this last section that we're going to look at this morning is he is wrapping up this, this whole section where he is pointing out the supremacy of Jesus to really every other system that would seek to deal with sin and deal with guilty consciences. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I, as I studied this this week, the, the, a, a main focus in here is guilt. And that was the main focus of, of the message that Stephen talked about last week. And one of the things that the author is trying to get at is how guilt an awareness of sin hinders us from wholeheartedly pursuing God and loving God. And I was thinking, imagine if you tried to run a race with a 500-pound pack on your back. It would be a constant distraction and a hindrance to you. You wouldn't be able to devote yourself to running because you'd constantly be thinking about this weight on your back. And in a similar way, we cannot serve God wholeheartedly when we have guilty consciences. We can't worship Him fully when we're conscious of sin. And so this morning's passage tells us how God dealt decisively with guilt and sin so that we might serve Him with all our hearts. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll start with verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be, or otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, the Jewish sacrifices, 
the Old Testament sacrifices, in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do Your will, O God, as it is written of Me in the scroll of the book. When He said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then He added, Behold, I have come to do Your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I, I know from studying this this week, and just, I know this, this is really important for us. This is really important for us to understand. It's important for me to understand it. It's important for us to understand it. Lord, would you please, by your Holy Spirit, Open the eyes of our hearts to understand your word. To see how glorious it is. To see what you have done for us, Jesus, once and for all. Lord, would you let this message change our lives. I pray that every person who hears it, Lord, that you would change their life. You would let us live in the good of this. Lord, that these would not just be words, but that that we would find guilty consciences cleansed by Your blood. Lord, we just ask for You to speak to us through Your Word. And I, I just thank You that You will, because You love us, because You're committed to us, Lord. You, you died for us, Jesus. So I know it's Your will to help us. And we ask this together in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice enables wholehearted devotion to God by cleansing our consciences. I'll say that again. This is what this is all about this morning. Jesus' perfect sacrifice enables wholehearted devotion to God 
by cleansing our consciences. Jesus' perfect sacrifice is what enables us to wholeheartedly serve God because He cleanses our consciences. Now, God wants us to serve Him with all our hearts, from the heart. He wants us to be devoted to Him. And anyone who has become a Christian, anyone who has turned wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ, they would say, that's how I want to serve God. I, I don't want to just go through the motions. I want to serve God with all my heart. I want to be consecrated to God. And God wants us to be consecrated to Him. Following Jesus Christ is to be the all-encompassing, captivating goal of our lives. There's nothing more important. But nothing destroys this heart devotion or trying to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Nothing destroys or hinders that like a guilty conscience or a consciousness of sin. Just one little illustration would be you can be here on Sunday morning and you want to worship God with all your heart. And as you begin to worship the Lord, suddenly you remember some sin that you have committed. And, and then you battle that. And, and hopefully you can take it right to Jesus Christ and right to His blood right away and say, Jesus, I, I just thank You that You died on the cross for even this sin. I confess it. Cleanse me again. And then worship God. But while you are wrestling with thoughts of guilt, you're being distracted from wholehearted worship to God. There's, there's lots of other things in this world that we, 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 if we are trying to do something we really want to do, and yet there's things around us distracting us, we, we can't do that thing as well. And I was thinking about this one time I went fishing by myself at night at Eastern Orthodox where I was not supposed to be fishing, but I was not a, I was not a Christian at the time. <laughs> so I didn't care about their requirements or rules. So I was out at Eastern Orthodox fishing, and it was dark. I don't know if it was 9 or 10 at night. And I'm fishing, and I, I loved fishing. I was devoted to fishing. I was having a great time wanting to catch some of those bass that are in there that no one's allowed to take out. And as I was, as I was fishing, I was, there, there must have been a lot of insects in the air because... I was surrounded by bats. There were just bats flying all around me. And I don't like bats because, as Barney Fife said on the Andy Griffith show, they get tangled up in your hair and they lay eggs in your hair. So I was fishing. I was fishing and there's all these bats flying around and I'm really nervous and it's just really distracting me from my fishing. And I was wearing a hat. It had a brim on it. I was wearing a hat. And... All of a sudden, uh, one of these bats whacked into the brim of my hat. Well, at that point, I said, it's time to go home. I reeled in my line, put, put it away, and went home. I was, I was distracted from what I really wanted to do by, by these bats. And that, that's a picture of, 
of what guilty consciences can do when we want to follow the Lord. We want to follow the Lord. We want to worship Him. We want to live for Him with all our hearts. But if, we're, if we have a consciousness of sin and a guilt of sin, we just can't... It's harder to follow Jesus. And the, the book of Hebrews was written to Christians who had converted from Judaism who were being pressured to go back to the old sacrificial system, offering animals, the blood of animals, to attempt to, in some way, cover sin. And the author of Hebrews is trying to show them how the incredibly superior sacrifice of Jesus can really perfect us so that we can follow Him wholeheartedly. His sacrifice really removes sin and its guilt. The, the, the Jewish system was a system of sacrifices by which they could experience a temporary cleansing from sin or a, a, a temporary ability to come to God. But the only problem with these sacrifices was that one commentator said that I read, they were only skin deep. They temporarily cleansed, but they didn't go deep enough. The Old Testament animal sacrifices could not actually remove sin or its guilt. Their hearts were burdened down with sin and distracted by guilt so they couldn't be fully devoted to God. And so the, the author is saying, don't go back to that. Don't go back to that. Don't, don't go back to anything less than something that can truly cleanse your conscience totally so that you can have undistracted devotion to God. And so the author is, is presenting an argument. And the first part of his argument is the failure of that old system of sacrifices to really deal with sin and guilt. And so in, in uh, verse 1 he says, since the law, and he's talking about the whole system, has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. He says, this system that God instituted was a shadow of the good things to come. That really means it was foreshadowing. It was foreshadowing the good things that were coming. So that when they sacrificed the blood of animals, that was just a foreshadowing of the great sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus and His blood that would, shed, would be shed that would really take away sin and guilt. In the old system, there were priests who offered the sacrifices. But that was a foreshadowing of Jesus, our great high priest who stands in heaven on our behalf. All of the aspects were just foreshadowings, but he says it was not the true form of these realities. And he says it could never perfect anyone. He says it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And he said 
the old system could not remove a consciousness of sins. And so in verse 2 he says, Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But because people were continually conscious of their sin and they had to keep repeating these sacrifices, the author says they were not effective. They couldn't perfect anyone. They couldn't remove a consciousness of sin. Furthermore, he says this system was a reminder of sin. In these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. One of the reasons that God instituted the whole Old Testament system of sacrifices was to show His people they were sinners and they needed God to forgive them. And so they were constantly reminded that they were sinful and needed the Lord's cleansing and forgiveness. And then finally he says, this Old Testament system of sacrifices could not remove sins. Verse 4 says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Animal blood can't remove our sins against God. And so that's why this one commentator said it's, it was a skin deep, a skin deep atonement. A skin-deep offering. And it would be like trying to wash a black grease stain out of white carpet using water only. The blood of bulls and goats just was not powerful enough to cleanse human sin from us. So, we don't need skin-deep cleansing. We need total cleansing. We need total cleansing. Any means we try to remove the guilt of our sin apart from Christ's sacrifice will fail. Last week, Stephen mentioned that people try to remove guilt in all kinds of unsuccessful ways. For example, Stephen mentioned that the Hindus bathe in the Ganges River. And they do that in an attempt to get rid of the guilt they're aware of. When I grew up, I grew up Roman Catholic. And I experienced a lot of guilt at different times in my life for my sins. And, and I really wanted to be rid of this guilt. It really bothered me. And the Catholic Church said that the way to find absolution was to go to confession. In which you go into a little booth and you confess your sins through a window to a priest... And then he gives you a penance. Something like, say, five Our Fathers, five Hail Marys, and five Glory Bees. And if you do that, then you go out, you say that penance, then you would supposedly, your sins would be forgiven. And I would do that. And I would have a sort of a temporary feeling of being cleansed, but my relief was only skin deep. It didn't, it didn't really remove my sense of guilt. And I knew that that night I was probably going to go out and do something that by the next morning I would feel really guilty when I went to Mass. It never really cleansed me. 
Last week, Stephen said, sometimes we try to overcome guilt by doing good things. We try to make up for our sins by helping people or by giving money away or whatever. That won't take away guilt. Trying to be good won't take away guilt. Even as I am speaking, some of you may want to serve God, but you have something on your mind that you've done and you feel guilty about. And you would love to be freed from it. Well, what frees us is Christ's wholehearted obedience and His supreme sacrifice. And that's the next thing that the author says, is that Christ's wholehearted obedience and supreme sacrifice is what perfects us. God actually didn't want the Old Testament sacrifices. And so the author says, he quotes a psalm, and he says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. And in verse 6 he says, In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. God didn't institute the blood sacrifices and the animal sacrifices because He enjoyed that. Or because God somehow needed those animals to be sacrificed to sustain Him. No, God didn't do that for Himself. He did it for His people to teach them something, to show them something, to show us what we really need, to show us that we're sinners and we need atonement. But what God wanted, He didn't really want animal sacrifices. He really wanted wholehearted obedience. But sin and guilt get in the way of wholehearted obedience. And so Jesus came to wholeheartedly obey God and pay for our sin and guilt. And so He says, but a body you have prepared for Me. And this is Jesus talking. In other words, Jesus, this represents the obedience of Jesus to take on human nature. To take on a human body. Jesus wholeheartedly, freely, obeyed God's will and took on a body that would be sacrificed to pay for our sins. And then in verse 7, Jesus said, Then I I said, Behold, I have come to do Your will, O God, as it is written of Me in the scroll of the book. So what this this section is saying is God didn't want sacrifices He didn't get any pleasure out of all those animal sacrifices. What he got pleasure out of was the wholehearted obedience of Jesus in taking on human nature, becoming a man, and then being willing to, to die, to suffer and die as a man to pay for the sins of mankind, pay for our sins, the sins of his people. And so then, what, it, what this is saying is that, is that Jesus' obedience is what God really wanted and His sacrifice, and that that sets aside the old system. And so in verse 8 and 9, he says in 10, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, according to the old system. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified 
through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God's will was that Jesus Christ, who was God Himself, become a man, take on a body that God had prepared for Him, and then suffer once and for all to sanctify us or set us apart. The system of sacrifices, that old system couldn't change anybody. The the Roman Catholic system never changed me. Any system of man-made works or atonement apart from the blood of Jesus won't change anything. But Jesus came by God's will. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The word sanctified is similar to the word perfected. Sanctified means consecrated to God or made holy. So when God sanctifies us, He consecrates us to Himself. He makes us holy. In the Old, in the Old Testament, in the temple, there were certain utensils and certain things that God said had to be set apart and made holy. They were to be sanctified for use in the temple. And so when God sanctifies us, He sets us apart. He perfects us. He consecrates us to Himself. And when God consecrates us, He gives us hearts consecrated to Himself. That's so incredible. Hearts like Jesus that say, Behold, I have come to do Your will. Hearts devoted to God and no longer hindered by sin and guilt. And so, Christ's sacrifice was all we need for all time. All we need. All we need is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I've heard people say at times, yeah, I think I need something more than Christianity. I think I need something more. We don't. We don't need anything more than Jesus. And we don't need anything more than His sacrifice to bring us to God, to cleanse our conscience, to fulfill us, to satisfy us. We don't need anything more than Jesus. We don't need anything more than God. And so in verse 11, the author of Hebrews, he's continuing this argument. He's continuing to compare the old system with what Jesus did. And so he says, Every priest stands daily at his service, repeatedly, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. See, these priests, day after day, they had to just keep offering the same sacrifices. Can you imagine how many thousands and thousands of animals were sacrificed every day, day after day, year after year. And it says the priest stands. They never got to sit down. That means their work was never finished because that old system just was ineffective. So they never sat down because they had to keep repeating those same sacrifices because they could never take away sins. But verse 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for His sins, He sat down 
at the right hand of God. It was finished. Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished once for all. Don't have to repeat this. Don't have to keep sacrificing myself again and again and again and again. It's all, I, it's all done one time. I, and he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So now his work of atonement is done and he will bring his rule about eventually and conquer all his enemies. And it says, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected for all times means this. Our sins and guilt have been permanently removed because they were laid on Christ. Now, there is one in the Bible that the Bible calls the accuser of the brethren. And that's Satan. It's the enemy. And he is quick to bring up our sins to us when we fail. He is quick to point out when we fail. He is quick to bring guilt upon us. And that's why we need to overcome him by this truth. When we feel tempted to be guilty for our sins, we want to turn to Jesus and confess our sins and ask His forgiveness. But then we need to say to the accuser of the brethren, in Jesus' name, my sins have been paid for once and for all. I do not need to wallow in guilt. I don't want to do these things again, but I'm not going to wallow in guilt. Because... Once and for all, God has perfected us. That doesn't mean that we're sinless now. That doesn't mean that we never sin now. But it means that ultimately, He has purchased our final perfection. And we're, we can begin to live in the good of that now. We can begin to experience the good of a clear conscience and knowing that God is not looking at us like we're guilty all the time. I tell you what, when I learned this truth after my experience as a Roman Catholic, when I learned this truth, I was so liberated. It, it, it took me a, a long time to get this into my brain that Jesus' one sacrifice perfected me. It took care of all my sins and all my guilt. And so, whenever we do fail... We just need to remember 1 John 1, 1.9 that says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why can God do that? Why is God faithful and just to forgive us our sins? Because Jesus paid for them once and for all. So if we confess our sins to God, He says, I forgive you. I will cleanse you of all the guilt of that. And the Holy Spirit confirms all this to us. He, the Holy Spirit confirms that Jesus' sacrifice enables wholehearted devotion because He cleanses our conscience. And here's how the Holy Spirit confirms it in verses 15 through 18. And so the author of Hebrews says, 
And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. And He does this by speaking through the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit speaks through Scriptures that Jesus has cleansed our sins, cleansed our consciences, and now we can wholeheartedly, fully devoted to Jesus, pursue Him. And so He says, here's how the Holy Spirit bears witness. For after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. That is wholehearted devotion to Jesus. The Holy Spirit. This, this is incredible. The Holy Spirit comes into believers and writes God's laws on our hearts. He moves us to want to keep God's laws. He moves us to be devoted to God. He writes God's will on our hearts. And so, it's not like somebody has to say, follow God. You need to be devoted to Jesus. You need to have a wholehearted devotion to Jesus. If someone is truly born again, the Holy Spirit will move in their hearts to desire to obey God with all their heart. Now, we battle sin. We battle worldly temptations. There's a lot we battle at times. But deep down, every true believer has God's Word in their heart and wants to follow the Lord. And, and this, is, this is what makes our job as pastors. It, it's, it's, it's challenging. It's hard at times. But I love this. I love knowing this when I'm counseling a Christian. When I'm counseling a born-again believer, if they're struggling with some kind of sin or if I'm counseling two born-again believers in their marriage, my foundation is, is that the Holy Spirit has written God's laws in their hearts and that at the core of their being, they want to serve Jesus. They want to love Jesus. And so when I'm counseling someone, they're sitting in my office struggling with sin or whatever it is, I'm not thinking... How could you do this? You're never going to beat this thing. Boy, what a loser you are. I never think that. I think here is a born-again child of God who, who wants to follow God wholeheartedly because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has taken care of their sins and has removed all their sins and all their guilt and now the hindrances to wholeheartedly following Jesus Christ have been effectively removed. The Holy Spirit is in them, moving them to follow Jesus. And, uh, yeah, we're struggling with, with temptation. We're struggling with a battle against our old nature. But at the core of this person's being, they love Jesus and want to follow Him. That's how I think. So if you ever need to come for counsel or to, to me or Stephen or Joe, just, just know that's, that's our conviction. And so, when I come in here on Sunday mornings, I think, here's a bunch of people who want to worship God with all their hearts. 
I, I used to lead worship a lot more often in, in, in uh, our meetings. And years and years ago, before I knew this, I would kind of have a mentality. It was a very wrong mentality. Believe me. That I kind of had this mentality that everybody was kind of coming and they kind of basically had to be whipped into shape to worship God. Sort of against their will. You know, so I had this sort of a mentality as a worship leader that somehow I have to kind of whip them up into worshiping God. But then once I understood this, once I understood how great the sacrifice Jesus offered was and what it does in our hearts, how it transforms our hearts to want to serve God, I had a much different view. I, I, view, I viewed everyone as... Here comes a bunch of people who want to serve God and they've had a rough week and they've, they've been battered down by the world and battered down by tough trials and, but deep down in their hearts they want to serve God. And so our job is just let's try to all lift our eyes up to see what a great God we serve and what great things He's done for us. I don't have to whip anybody into worship. And it's just wonderful. It was so liberating to me as a worship leader, so liberating to me as a pastor. And, and I, I so desire as your pastor that you all would experience this joy and liberty in Jesus knowing this. And so the Holy Spirit has confirmed this. He says, this is my covenant. Inward motivation springing from God. It's what Jesus did. And now he says... They can have this inward devotion because I have decisively forgiven them. So the Holy Spirit, He says, then He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. He says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now contrast that to verse 3 where He's talking about the old system it says, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So the old system was a reminder of our sins, how much we sinned against God. In, in Jesus' sacrifice, God isn't reminding us of our sins all the time. God says, I have decisively, once and for all, forgiven your sins and cleansed your consciences. And so he says, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You don't have to keep making sacrifices for sins over and over. You don't need the Old Testament system. Now, we think, well, that was just for those days. But like Stephen said last week, we, we try to cleanse ourselves in all kinds of ways. And as I said, as a Roman Catholic, I just felt like I could never be cleansed. And... The, the Roman Catholic Church, and I, I am not mocking them. I'm just trying to point out with genuine, sincere concern, especially if any of you come from that background, the Roman Catholic Church calls the Mass the sacrifice of the Mass. And they really believe that that weekly, daily sacrifice of the Mass takes away sins. The Council of Trent, a major 
Roman Catholic Council that wrote down documents that are definitive. It's what they believed. It says this, If anyone saith that the sacrifice of the Mass is only a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, or it is a bare commemoration of the sacrifice consummated on the cross, but not a propitiatory sacrifice, let him be anathema. Now what this means, a propitiatory sacrifice, the word propitiation means that which removes the wrath of God, that which covers guilt, that which pays for sins. And so what the Catholic Church says, if anybody says that the Mass is not something that pays for sins, let him be anathema, or that means let him be cursed. And then in the Council of Trent, they also said, this sacrifice is truly propitiatory. And then they said, wherefore, not only for sins, punishments, satisfactions, and other necessities of the faithful who are living, but also for those who are departed in Christ and who are not yet fully purified, is it rightly offered. So the Catholic Church teaches that the the Mass, the sacrifice of the Mass, is for sins of the living and also offers up, also pays for sins of people who have died. And that's just completely contrary to the Bible, which says Jesus died once and for all. He doesn't need to be sacrificed again and again and again and again and again. So what do we do? I think we should give thanks that we know these things. I think we should give thanks that we live on this side of Calvary, that we're not under that old system of sacrifices. I think we we should give thanks if you don't feel constant guilt for your sins. If you feel joy in Jesus. If you know that you're accepted by God because of the blood of Jesus. I think we should rejoice. And if any of you here have never turned to Jesus Christ, oh, you need to. His sacrifice is the only thing that would pay for your sins. Otherwise, you must pay for them eternally in hell. And Jesus offers you freedom from that. Come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I turn to you with all my heart. Be my Savior. Be my King. I want wholehearted devotion to you. Call upon His name. So let's stand and let's pray. Let's have the worship team come up and lead us in a final song. Lord Jesus, thank you for the book of Hebrews. Thank you for telling us again and again, week after week, of the superior, infinitely glorious sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that you would let, let us live in the good of this. Let us as a church, let us as individuals live in the good of this. I pray that we would all live knowing that you have perfected and sanctified us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. In your name, amen.